Hi, I'm Amanda. And I'm Kim. And this is The Department, a podcast about trends and how they define the world around us. Welcome to episode 46 of The Department. Today is part one of another two-parter that takes last week's discussion on Chugi and explores what Gen Z actually thinks is cool. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, before we jump in, our usual spiel here, you know, please make sure to follow us on your preferred streaming service. And you know what? Maybe take it a step further have a friend or two (laughs) that (laughs) you could find that could actually find some value in this podcast yeah i'm sure you probably already have done this but you know if you haven't you know tell them about it um you can share us on instagram or just send one of your favorite episodes that you can get um on our website like i say url um so we have been getting a lot of really awesome reviews lately uh that actually talk about how valuable this podcast is which is exactly why we made it you yeah. know how different it is how it's beneficial to all types of professions and careers because it does examine trends at a cultural level which is just really on the nose um so you know you know, taking that industry trend talk out of it, stripping it down and, you know, discussing it in a fun and informative way really does add a lot of value to your life. And that's really why we're here. Yeah. Also, I just want to know what everyone's favorite episode is so far. Oh. We should do a poll. We're going to do a poll this week on Instagram. We need to know. Okay. Remind me if I don't do it, but yes. (laughs) I'll remind you. And speaking of Instagram, come on down to at underscore the uh, underscore department. Uh, you can also find us and our show notes on our website, thedepartment.world. And if you have a free moment, literally it just takes a moment, we would love for you to give us a star rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts because that pushes us up the algorithm and into more ears so that you would be doing us oh. a massive favor. Plus, we love reading them. You know, yes. if you've listened to this podcast long enough, that I love reading reviews for anything. <laughs> <laughs> yes, including your own podcast. Yes, yes, even better then. <laughs> <laughs> so, I was actually inspired by Amanda's series on Basic and Chugi, which, you know, got a lot of really positive feedback from listeners. So if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend that you listen to those two episodes. Um, You know, the Gen Z rebelling against the last decade's trends. I thought that this would be such a great follow-up to the last miniseries while we all still have Chugi on the mind. Um, (laughs) Oh, we definitely do. (laughs) I've been thinking about it all week. And so has everyone else. It was very polarizing and fascinating to see our community engage with us so much on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's really interesting to see how many people got so interested and vocal about their thoughts, particularly on lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm just here to say, I don't think lasagna is chuggy. I think lasagna is delicious. And 
I was actually thinking about this a lot this week because we all seem really torn up about lasagna. And I can see why macaroni and cheese is chuggy because it's been yeah. so just like commercialized and commodified. But lasagna hasn't been. I don't think like there aren't restaurants opening up that just serve lasagna, whereas there are restaurants that just serve mediocre macaroni and cheese and charge a crazy price for it. And you can tell me what you think here, Kim. I feel like we know that Chugi is all about, you know, throwing away our consumerist, commodified, mm-hmm. packaged lifestyle. And so it seemed to me that cooking something delicious and sharing it with your loved ones is the exact opposite of Chugi. And that's where lasagna comes into play. Because homemade lasagna makes everybody super happy. <laughs> it's incredible. I mean, Stouffer's is one thing. I'd eat but it. But I don't think yeah. <laughs> I would totally eat it. I would. Tr- I mean, any sort of lasagna. Is, there's an Amy's lasagna that's really good. Oh, is there? I had no idea. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Those but I mean, delicious. A homemade lasagna. I make it every once in a while here. I found some really great gluten free lasagna noodles. And it is just like you can choose your own adventure in terms of oh, what yeah. you put in a lasagna. I love it. I, I wonder if it has something to do with this. There was like a lasagna challenge early in 2020. <laughs> do, you, do you remember this? It was like on Instagram. No. What is it? To like eat a whole lasagna? To make a lasagna. And it was like, I think it was on like Food 52. Someone was was promoting this lasagna challenge. Mm, that could be it. I kind of think maybe that's it. I don't know. I mean, I just feel like lasagna – you don't see it in a lot of restaurants, right? And it's because yeah. it is kind of like a high effort thing to make. I remember it was one of the first things I ever cooked for someone who wasn't related to me was a lasagna for Valentine's Day when I was wow. a teenager. And uh, it was it was a wild success. Like the, the recipient is. of the lasagna was Crowd like, I can't pleaser. believe you made me a lasagna. Yeah. And <laughs> I do think there's something just so like – loving about whether even if you're just making a lasagna for yourself because it's a treat but it's also not like fancy and it's not about Mm -hmm. you know plating it like I'm just so over plating your food for your Instagram photo I feel like Mm -hmm. it always looks kind of sloppy on a plate and actually the sloppier it is the more delicious and I don't know I just I think I'm just here First off, I don't see chuggy being a good or a bad thing. I think that I've decided that my feeling on chuggy is that it's about changing our millennial consumer ways, right? And mm-hmm. so I'm okay with things being chuggy because that means we can do better and be non chuggy I know that chuggy can also be very classist in terms of like things being out of style, But the idea of things being out of style is just bullshit unless we're talking about destroying the environment, being racist, uh, systemic poverty. These are all things I would love to go out of style. And so I'm choosing to adopt a stance that Chugi is about destroying all the dumb shit. Yeah. Like it's like a wake-up call. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I might be wrong. I'm sure there's – like, listen, someone out there is using – chuggy in a pejorative way just to be a dick. Mm-hmm. We know that's the world we live in, but I am reserving it for things that I think are just, I don't know, wasteful and ingenuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, rant over. <laughs> I'm pro lasagna. Pro, we are all pro lasagna here. <laughs> 
I, there was a lot of there was a lot of Instagrams. There was like, if lasagna is chuggy, then count me in. <laughs> <laughs> But I felt like I was reading the comments. A lot of people were like, yeah, I get macaroni and cheese. It adds yes. up, right? Everyone's like, yeah. yes, definitely macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> but what? what's lasagna? Canceled. <laughs> Still will eat, however. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. No issues. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, so this mini series, we reflect on things that Gen Z thinks is actually cool and what they've been popularizing. Obviously, whoever sits in the teens and the 20s becomes the influencers. So, dun, dun, dun. For like all these generations. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Sorry, millennials. Exactly. And Gen Z moved into this position of super influencer for the first time in like the last year or two. So it's really been on every industry person's lips, which is so interesting from our perspective as we catered to millennials for over a decade. So this new generation has been brought up in a totally different world than the millennials and have a totally different perspective as well as values shaped by a world of uncertainty, racism, classism, sexism, political turmoil, environmental (laughs) dangers, And so many other things that create this extremely different group of individuals who are so insanely connected by technology, more so even than the millennials. So last week, we talked about how not to be chooky. First and foremost, you know, listening to the department podcast is definitely Um, one. Yes. (laughs) And this is a safe space for lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) I mean... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we definitely yes, we definitely say that lasagna is not chuggy. Listen, if you are feeling nervous about lasagna, come over to my house. I'll make you one. We'll sit down and we'll talk. You'll feel good. <laughs> I mean, I would say close horse is definitely close horse podcast. Definitely also not chuggy. Not I try not to be. It actually helps you not be chuggy. Both of these help you. To avoid the chooky factor. Yeah. Um, but other things that are not chooky, you know, are being just more conscious, like thrifting, making your own clothes, being anti-capitalist, DIYing and crafting. This one's my favorite, which is home decorating not from Target, which is <laughs> so interesting because I was actually talking about home decorating as someplace that millennials go to buy their decor at Target. Mm-hmm. Like, with someone that I work with, but it wasn't in regards to this at all. It was just like, oh God, where do where do millennials shop for home goods? And you know, my coworker who's like Gen Z millennial cusp was just like Target. Oh, like, for sure, because Target kills it. So I will tell mm-hmm. you, I don't. I try to buy only secondhand home goods. We've talked about this mm-hmm. many episodes ago. For years, there was this chair, and by years. I don't know how long, a year, maybe two (laughs) years. My brain is all mushed up in terms of time because of the pandemic. There was this one like sort of wicker egg chair. Oh my God, yes. That Target was selling, right? Okay, and I have been wanting this chair forever. And last year they made like a double version of it, like a love seat size. And, you know, I lost my job. So I was like, I can't really go drop $600 on this egg chair. But it was in my mind and still there. Like if I ever found it thrifting, I would buy it. So Right now I have yard sale fever. Um, the yard sailing out here makes 
thrifting look just like amateur hour. It's just so good. And we went to a whole town yard sale where you just walked and walked and went from house to house to a yard sale. It was delightful. And we came up on a house and I saw on the porch, not for sale, but just sitting there, that chair. And I was like, oh my God, these people must be amazing. They have my dream chair from Target. (laughs) And then I looked in their flower beds and an assortment of Trump signs. Oh, It's summer of 2021. The election was more than six months ago. And it's a bold move mm-hmm. after January 6th and everything else to have Trump signs in your front yard, much less five or six, that some of them were homemade and like clearly <laughs> carved out of metal and wood. Wow. Like people have put effort into this. And I can't explain it, but I looked at that chair and I was like, that chair's canceled. <gasps> in my mind, I'm over it. Um, I guess that chair is chuggy. It's chuggy. You know? Well, it is. It's yeah. from Target. Yeah. Appar- apparently. Anyway, we do have a rule mm-hmm. that if we come up to a house that's having a yard sale, no matter how good it looks, if they have any Trump paraphernalia in the yard, we skip it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't give your money to assholes, Amanda. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> Don't give your money to people who fly Trump flags seven months after the election. You know? Yeah. It says yeah. something. Yeah. Anywho, <laughs> sorry to derail it, but I had to tell that story. That's a great story. You are welcome to derail any anything <laughs> for a good story like that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway, you know, uh, so we did talk about all these uh, other ways to be not chooky, but there are so many more to the trends based on the zeitgeist that I'm going to dig into. And Amanda, you know, obviously jump in anytime. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this episode, you know, of, of our two parter is really going to be about the ugly fashion and ugly aesthetics. Um, you know, something we've mentioned a few times on this podcast, but haven't actually really taken a good old fashioned, the department look, which is, you know, ugly core or what's quote unquote, Ugly fashion and ugly aesthetics. That's an intense word. Can we just talk about that for a second? Uh, I knew that's what we were going to talk tonight. And I was like, wow, ugly is such an ugly word. And my experience specifically with the word ugly that uh, has really ruined that word for me Mm. is there was a guy who would stand outside homeroom every morning in eighth grade. Oh, no. His name was Gary Duke, and I'm totally fine with doxing him here on the podcast because I doubt he listens. Gary Duke would stand outside my homeroom every morning, and when I would walk in, be like, hey, ugly. Good morning, ugly. And I think he thought he was hot shit because he drove to eighth grade. But uh, in retrospect, he he drove a car? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Was he, how old was he? Well, I guess he was 16. Oh. I mean, right there. This guy right is there. a fucking asshole, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I have this idea, and it's maybe something we can just like keep in mind as we talk about ugly fashion, ugly aesthetics, ugly core. If this is possibly a moment where we're going to reclaim the word ugly in the way that people over the years have claimed other words that were cr- in- initially cruel, like queer or mm-hmm. see you next Tuesday. There was a moment for that in the see 90s where that word Tuesday. was like – this is a powerful word. You know, like I kind of wonder if we can reclaim ugly since we know that, you know, as as my grandma always would say, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, mm-hmm. right? So is ugly, right? Oh, yeah. It's very um, subjective. Right, right. And I almost think like it feels like 
the traditional ideas of beauty versus ugly are so chuggy. Yes. Right? Yes. If you use the chuggy, if you use the chuggy lens to examine it. Anyway, just something to like I'm thinking about as you're talking because I think ugly you it's a ugly core is a hard uh trend to sell someone <laughs> for obvious reasons. Yes. And it, <laughs> and you learn that it's Ugly is basically based on a subjective idea of what pre- preceded it. Yeah. And so it's I'm excited about this. The I ugly version of what technically was the trend right before it. So then it's interesting. Let me, you know, let me just jump in. Ugly core is Gen Z's revolt against the manufactured and clinical minimal aesthetic, AKA blanding. Chuggy. Blanding is so chuggy. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That was ushered forward by the millennial generation. So Gen Zers or Zoomers, as they're sometimes called, um, are embracing a very opposing aesthetic that has been called ugly core, which is essentially purposely and intentionally consuming and visually pushing an unedited raw style as well as wearing traditionally, quote unquote, ugly fashion. And I say traditionally as they were deemed ugly by the generation before them. (laughs) (laughs) Now, ugly core did not come out of nowhere. It actually came out of a millennial trend, not norm core, which, you know, hopefully most of you know, but um, it was the predecessor. And I can safely say that norm core crawled so that ugly core could run. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So norm core for anyone really not aware, you know, maybe my mother. Um, <laughs> so hi, mom. I'm sure you're going to be listening to this. She just had like a little, uh, some surgeries. So she's been catching up on the podcast. So I'm sure she'll, she'll listen oh, to this one. Feel better, Mrs. Christensen. <laughs> um, norm core was an anti-fashion trend that hit its apex in 2014 and really, it lasted for a few years um, with this like mm-hmm. 90s style average, quote unquote, I'm using a lot of these quotes because, you know, it is subjective, normal uh, Seinfeldian fashion aesthetic featuring sweatshirts, mom or dad jeans, which are still popular, white mm-hmm. sneakers and Birkenstocks. And it's defined as the desire to fit in rather than stand out with deep roots and nostalgia and a resurgence of 90s heritage brands. So New York Times has a story from 2014 called The New Normal that describes the synthesis best. Uh, And I quote, as envisioned by its creators, quote, Normcore was not a fashion trend, but a broader sociological attitude The basic idea is that young alternative types had devoted so much energy to trying to define themselves as individuals through ever quirkier style flourishes like handlebar mustaches or or esoteric pursuits like artisanal pickling that they had lost the joy of belonging that comes with being part of the group. Norm core was all about dropping the pretense and learning to throw themselves into, without detachment, whatever subcultures or activities they stumbled into, even if it was mainstream. You might not understand the rules of football, but you can still get a thrill from the roar of the crowd at the World Cup, they say. Hmm. 
<laughs> I mean, Normcore is has been fascinating to me because, you mm-hmm. know, at the time we were living in LA and you just didn't really see it there. Like, oh, really? I just know, not in the way I, then I would travel to New York for work yes, and I'd be like, holy big. shit, like Normcore is huge here. And I think it's because, you know, LA has always had its own like mm-hmm. boho desert rock and roll kind of vibe. And I think it just, Normcore didn't Coachella. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. For better or worse, you know, that yeah. is, it still is totally normal there to wear, you know, like some flowing dress and like a big hat. And yeah. I remember that time I was seeing a guy who lived in Portland who was obsessed with Normcore, which it, Normcore in Portland makes total sense, right? And the way he was always selling it to me is that it was like really sticking it to the hipsters. And that if I wanted to be cool and relevant, I needed to also join in, in Normcore. And I was like, I had to wear khakis when I worked oh, proudly serving yeah. Starbucks coffee. And I will never go back to that. You know, like, yeah. it's just not who I am. It's not costumey and drama enough. Um, but it was interesting the way he would talk about it all the time as if, by embracing normcore, you were completely rejecting hipsterism. But like this dude was yeah. a hipster. The joke's on him. The joke is All on him. All the coolest hipsters did the know, normcore. And I then know. actually everyone just started doing normcore. Yeah, totally. And what I excited me about normcore initially is I was thinking like, okay, finally – all this clo- these clothes that I see in thrift stores all the time that no one buys because they're not vintage and they're not luxury are finally going to be worn. But no, no, people went and bought brand new yeah. Normcore clothes, even though I can tell you that the thrift stores were bursting at the seams with khakis and mom and dad jeans and sweatshirts and all of these things. Uh, what a bummer. <laughs> what a lost opportunity. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's it's interesting how things churn when we go to ugly core. But, you know, norm, normal and <laughs> ugly, for that matter, really, is, you know, of course, in the eye of the beholder. And as we already mm-hmm. mentioned, super, super subjective. Uh, and what was once shunned by the fashion industry, norm core made cool. As an attempt to stand out and continue to push the boundaries on personal style, influencers and millennial early adopters challenging the traditional unacceptable and weaponizing Instagram and their status as fashion forward. Much of the trend was also rooted in nostalgia, as we've already talked about for that like 90s minimalism that was originally intended as deliberately looking like you're not selling out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but recreated 20 years later. So the Fader had this article from 2014 called Social Anxiety, Why Basic Culture is Just Normcore 2.0 by Emily Freelander <laughs> that said it mm-hmm. best. And I quote, hipster culture has become so colonized by the mainstream. This is 2014, remember, that hipsters okay. were becoming to differentiate themselves through the adoption of mainstream styles and tastes crowded out of their own game in a world where b- being different was becoming the norm. I mean, it's, it's the inevitable backlash, right? That's, that's how these things work. Yes. And it's also basic is in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> Everything 
everything's in the eye of the beholder. I mean, it's all just insanely subjective. Which when you take a step back and think about that, because that's a huge statement right there, right? What's basic is in the eye of the beholder. What's cool Mm -hmm. is in the eye of the beholder. Yet so many of us allow ourselves to be told by magazines, movies, blogs, what have you, what's cool Yeah, right now, right? And then, yeah, like that's a really – it sounds like such a simple statement, but that is a massive leap forward intellectually and emotionally for a lot of people to like really let that sink in. That's bad for – that's bad for business. It is bad for business. (laughs) So many businesses. It's bad for buyers who are just – Buying into trends and making oh, you know the company I they know. work for you know millions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which we know about. Oh yeah. So Emily goes on to compare Normcore with basic culture, arguing that they're in, in in essence basically the same thing, even though they're coming at self-definition, identity, and personal style from opposing sides of mm. the mainstream slash subcultural divide. That's fascinating. And so, right. So she very eloquently says, the one may be obsessed with Ugg boots and French manicures and the other with, is it Tevas or Tevas? It depends who you are, you know. (laughs) (laughs) And Umbros. But but both are examples of locating, quote, cool in unexpected places, of feeding the trend cycle with new materials to feast itself on and then discard. Neither represents a permanent solution to the problem of affirming one's individuality and uniqueness in a world where everybody is trying to do that same thing, imprisoned as we are within a virtual ecosystem that encourages us to express ourselves by sharing the things we like. It's definitely a first world problem. After all, not everybody has the privilege of worrying about whether they come across as, quote, too mainstream or too niche. But I also think it's an outgrowth of a very human need and one that we need not necessarily be ashamed of. We long to be appreciated for our particularities as humans, but we're trapped in an uphill battle of having to express those ah, particularities, sorry, through things. I mean, through things. Wow. That just goes (laughs) back to what we've been talking about, about millennials really asserting their personality, their whole identity by what they buy. And I think about how in the last 20 to 30 years, how many retailers and brands have been cashing in on that idea of like selling you stuff, you know, selling tens of thousands of units of everything to help you assert your individuality. Yes. That you can show the world what you like. Right. Right. Because shopping used to be And it was the same when we were kids. Shopping, where you shopped, was more based on your age. That's why we go back Mm -hmm. to the old, I know we love to laugh about these, the department store (laughs) departments for women, right? So like Missy, seniors, (laughs) and, you know, woman, Mm -hmm. and like you pass through these steps. These departments were not based on your aesthetic. They were based on your age. And in this century, 
And you're like your body shape because yeah, of your age, exactly. like how mature your actual body was. And so these retailers, these department stores, but other retailers as well, would specifically tell you what you should be wearing at your age. And that's what you wore. It was like the uniform, not of mm-hmm. who you are, where you lived, your interests, but like how old you were. And even the like specialty retailers of the 80s and 90s, you know, like the Limited, Express, even Gap, yes. were really based on this idea of age. Contempo Casual, that was a junior store. Oh you gosh, know what I mean? Contempo Casual, yes. Yeah. And so. And I remember Contempo Casual like went up to like a size six or something. I could never fit into any of their the clothes. Their clothes were tiny because they were junior, right? And mm-hmm. in this century, it became more about selling you a lifestyle, which mm-hmm. is just a synonym for an identity. And so you start to see retailers really splinter off into selling all these different concepts to people. But then there would be places like Forever 21, which always felt like a yard sale when you went in there because they were trying to sell 12 different aesthetics at any given time to cover all their bases because they had to sell so much volume. Since they were selling at so much low prices, they need to sell you as much stuff as possible. Same with H&M. Totally. Totally. Just trying to sell every trend that was out there in every different interpretation. Oh, do you like to go to clubs? Here's your section. Do you like streetwear? Here you go. Are you a little goth? Here you go. Are you a lady? There you go. Like all of these stores really started to deliver to that. And that's how we saw people always ask me, like, why do I think department stores have gone the way of the dinosaurs? It's because they they didn't see that. They were still like, oh, are you a juniors or a missies? Yeah. You know, and they were so garmento and like stuck in that ways. And, you know, you still go to those or you, you, you listen to those people that run those companies and it was all just there. They wouldn't change. No, they wouldn't change. And they weren't realizing that there are some people who were like really vintagey and there are people who are boho, mm-hmm. like specifically at Urban Outfitters. Now, if you go into an Urban Outfitters store, everything has an Urban Outfitters label in it. But early in my career, the brand actually worked to develop, I want to say like five different labels, five different in-house brands Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. all addressed a different lifestyle, aka identity, right? So there was like a boho brand. There was like the edgy, like you know, party scene girl brand. There was like a feminine brand. There was a more unisex one. I mean, we we would buy and develop into these different girls, you know, but yeah. that wasn't, that wasn't what like, you know, Macy's was doing. Macy was, was like, well, how old are you? I'll tell you where to go. <laughs> and You know, we've seen, I mean, I think that what happened though, so think about this a lot, how I really lost interest in shopping years ago because I started to see, all I saw was the same stuff everywhere. And it was because gradually Everybody became less concerned about delivering identity again mm-hmm. and was really about just trying to get sales, you know? So yeah, it was like fast fashion. We're exactly. all gonna sell off the shoulder tops. Even though, like, if we were talking about like what girl is the off the shoulder top, that's the kind of stuff you talk about as a buyer. You literally call all your women customers girls, right? If we were like, what girl is that? It would be the feminine girl, right? Or it'd be maybe mm-hmm. the boho girl, but it wouldn't be the edgy girl or the unisex girl, which sounds oxymoronic. But but now, like in the past few years, retailers have just been like, let's just sell everything to everyone mm-hmm. again. And I think that's why we're seeing so many brands fail right now. Yeah. They need to Plus go back niche. to selling identities, I guess, again. Even though, like, I, you know, I've railed against 
or at least gently reprimanded us all, myself included, about the way we thought we could shop our way to ourselves. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But it seems like it's a more successful route. Have you been into a store at all recently? No. I last last Sunday it was like raining cats and dogs all day. And Dustin had driven to upstate New York to pick up our RV. So I was all alone. And for a moment wait, 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 wait. Your RV? <laughs> oh yeah, we have an RV now, a recreational vehicle. Shut the front. Yeah, door. I know. Very exciting, right? <laughs> That, on oh trend. It's, it's so exciting. <laughs> I know. It's really exciting. We are, are putting uh, like faux wooden flooring in it right now. We ripped out oh all the carpet because um, it was gross. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very cool. It's from the 90s. Um, it's got a major norm core vibes, actually. I will have to share some photos. <laughs> anyway, uh, I that day I was like, I wonder if it would be fun to just drive over to the mall. Like I really thought about it and just like go walk around a mall and see what people sold. And mm-hmm. then I just – the more I thought about it, I started to get de- – I got preemptively depressed. Yes. And I didn't like a headache. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I am curious. I feel like we probably needed to force ourselves to do something like that because, you know, what you see – I mean, everybody who's listening to this knows this. You've learned this the har- lesson the hard way. What you see on a website is not what you see when you go into a store. Absolutely. It's such a different experience and the assortment is so different. And you start to see – really what people are trying to sell you. And definitely the last few times I was out like competitive shopping before the pandemic, I couldn't tell stores apart anymore. It was just the same stuff everywhere. Interesting. Interesting, right? Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, who, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen now? Um, but I think – I mean, I remember a moment where places were like, now we sell Normcore clothes, you know? Yes. Oh, I remember. Yeah. I, re- I remember like like going in even to Nasty Gal and it was like, oh, what's the trend? Well, the sneaker is the trend. And of course, we tried to buy it. And our girl, as you, as you completely understand, is not Normcore. No. I mean, we sold we sold some sweatshirts successfully. Yeah. But yeah, and, and and I feel like that was a really great example of how like – that trend ostensibly was, you know, all hipsters all the time. Like that was the idea. But like LA hipsters had rejected that. Mm-hmm. And this certain type of female customer that shopped at Nasty Gal who would be hipper and more worldly perhaps uh, was like, no, I'm actually like I'm more I'm, into I'm runway I'm a Kardashian. Fashion. Yeah, I'm a Kardashian. Exactly. I'm going to Vegas. I want my Vegas outfit. I'm going to brunch. I got all the Vegas outfits we'd have to buy. Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> it's like the only thing you could sell was like a four inch heel that like that, you know, like some sort of kind of strange going out painful, you know, over the knee contraption <laughs> or like wrap, wrap yeah. her on. It's yeah. Like, I had a friend who it is a screenwriter and he for a while in that era decided to drive Uber, to, you know, like everyone who's a screenwriter yeah. in L.A. And he was like, yeah, all I do is drive women in really painful looking shoes two blocks all night long. He's oh like, my God. Two, the, the women will get out, two more will get in, we'll drive two more blocks, they'll get out, and I just do a loop on sunset all night long. Hilarious. Yeah. There was like a New York Times article that I read this morning about how everyone's dying to get back into their heels. And I was like, who? Oh. <laughs> I don't know anyone. If you're dying to get back into your heels, 
Will you please message us or call the hotline and tell us why? <laughs> because my feet have never felt better. Mm-hmm. I mean, not that I actually wore a lot of heels to begin with. I but did. Maybe it's those people that really, you know, have a collection of heels. They love their heels, their <laughs> trophy heels, you know, and they're just like heels people, you know. Yeah. Heels I get people. It. There's heels people. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, so, you know, going back to that quote, you know, and even what Amanda was saying is this even reminds me of what we were talking about for hipster culture, a whole subculture defined by what a person consumes and springboards right into the basic conversation, which was also all about self-identity through the lens of consumption. And what Amanda already said, millennials, it's basically just lined right up. It goes, check, 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 check. (laughs) It's all consumption culture. Mm -hmm. Um, nothing to do with the person and who they are actually on the inside, their values, their dreams, everything is just so surface. Yep. So, you know, the last episode, few episodes were about Chugi and Amanda went into just incredible, beautiful detail discussing the concept of basic and how it relates to our culture as a degrading term for many reasons. (laughs) Um, you know, and so this also can't go without bringing up Amanda's preaching of taste as a classic construct. Norm core, of course, as pretty much everything, you know, we talk about has some sort of classist issues, even racial ones. Um, I read a very dense article from eFlux um, and they talk about how norm core was, I kind of love this term, class tourism. And it, I don't know, and it's appropriation of middle American tourist style. And the fact that norm core smuggles in the back door an implicit idea of what is normal, which is white and middle class, even as it shuts the front door on the mainstream. It, I mean, it makes no sense, Kim. It makes me think so much. <laughs> I mean, we talked about, and I wish we'd used this term, knew this term then, about how the hipsters were sort of appropriating like blue collar, so-called yes. white trash aesthetic. That was class yes. tourism as well. And when that totally. was trending, it made me feel so uncomfortable because drinking shitty beer and wearing Harley t-shirts, that could be any of my uncles. Yes. And it just didn't feel cool to ironically be someone from my family or it, from the town yeah. where I grew up. And I could, I think that maybe no, this is one of the reasons that I really did not like Normcore because I was like, I don't, what I don't know about you, but when I get dressed every day, it's like a creative expression for me. It is really a way that I, you know, make myself feel a certain way. And I don't want to creatively express myself as my 10th grade geometry teacher. Like that feels fucked up. That feels like cosplay. Mm-hmm. And I, in the same way that, you know, drinking PBR and wearing a trucker hat and a Harley tee was in the aughts. Like I, it just. It's not authentic to you. Yeah. And it feels cruel. It feels very cruel. Well, especially since you, you know, like for the hipster style that you actually, you know, like they were basically appropriating your class when you like the people that you knew like that they were not appropriate like most of them I guess maybe some of them might have but they weren't appropriating their own class or appropriating a different class yeah so you were you had that advantage of like actually seeing it and being like what the fuck yeah (laughs) like it's just so weird and to like 
throw the term white trash around as like an mm-hmm. aesthetic, as an adjective, when it's just been such a pejorative, cruel word for so long. Yes. Just yes. felt uncool to me. And I and and wrong, right? And Normcore sort of felt similarly wrong to me because I just couldn't help but think, and maybe this is me coming of age in that hipster era where everything was ironic. I couldn't help but feel that the hip people I saw adopting Normcore were also doing that ironically. And that doesn't feel okay to me. Cosplaying mm-hmm. as, you know, your dad or some of your teachers or people you saw shopping at Sam's Club or something, it feels cruel when it's ironic. It's ironic. It's it's that same, yeah, right, it's exactly, right. it's that same irony. I don't like it. Why Why would you ever <laughs> wear something ironically? Either you like it or you don't like it. And just be honest that you like it. I think it's just like the millennial generation that – God, we're a bunch of jerks. <laughs> <laughs> so I do have to admit there was something rather financially freeing about the accessible – accessibility of the trend mm-hmm. for the first time in so long, you know, which was really refreshing with mainstream brands being just generally more affordable. And, you know, the entry point of getting into Normcore was a lot, a lot easier, you know, champ, you could buy champion or Nike dad sneakers, you know, you don't have to buy a designer brand like Gucci or something to pick up on the trend um, I mean, you can always get the high ticket aspirational version of the normie style if you desired, but to achieve the trend, you could literally go to the mall. Yeah. Or like you said, you could go in vintage, you could thrift. Yeah. Um, which, you know, wasn't quite as popular because, you know, it, a lot of the, the millennials didn't, they had they came from like a, you know, a middle class or upper middle class and they just didn't spend their money that way. Right. And I often wonder if actually buying secondhand khakis and champion sweatshirts would have been too authentic and therefore not ironic and too real. Right. And then you just, you're not Normcore, you're just existing. Well, because Normcore was also crisp and clean. Yeah. Oh, for sure. It like wasn't secondhand. The whitest sneakers. Yes. The white, the perfect absolute brand new never even washed you know like like champion crew neck marbled marbled gray sweatshirt yep you know it didn't have pasta sauce it didn't have its lasagna sauce stains on it ever you know there wasn't a tide a tide stick ever touched that that sweatshirt <laughs> it's basically pressed i just remember normcore being just insanely clean which was minimal <laughs> yeah. And don't get me started about Menocore. <laughs> which I which I found I didn't even know this thing was a thing, but it's this concept of embracing aspirational postmenopausal style trends from like that upper middle class favorites like Eileen Fisher and Donna Karen, my mother's favorite, uh what's it called? Chico's oh, Jesus, thank you. <laughs> Chico's. How did you know? I just know. I just before? know your mom. I know she likes Chico's. Yeah, She's a Chico's loves girl. Chico's. But the the kids were em- embracing that as well at this time, which was also kind of this classist thing because it was basically em- embracing like a upper middle class, you know, ret- almost retired look. 
It's um, so weird. And, I mean, I would see <laughs> I would see like twenty five year old women wearing Eileen Fisher on the internet, and I would be like, "Wow, one, yes. where did you get that money? <laughs> because that stuff is yes, expensive. so expensive." But two, I pretty rapidly saw fast fashion youth oriented brands knocking off Eileen Fisher, which yes. is not a thing I thought I would see. And I feel like I would go to trade shows where there'd be a whole aisle of like new young Eileen Fisher clothes, you know, like yes. exact silhouettes, those pants. Yes. You know what pant I'm talking about um, with the tunics and all of that stuff. And I mean, oh gosh, what is yes. wrong with all of us? Although Eileen Fisher well, clothes are nice and they last forever. They are. Um, well, now that we're like the age, <laughs> we're like, hmm. Yeah, it's weird, <laughs> right? Now everyone's hmm. like, this is awkward. I didn't want to get to be this age and wear age appropriate clothes all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly. Oh. Um, anyway, so this ugly trend has been building really since 2017, maybe a little earlier, um, and really picked up where normcore left off. As normcore, the essentially you know normalized quote unquote ugly or post mainstream nostalgia fashion <laughs> turtlenecks. They had no brand jeans, Patagonia fleeces. Tevas and Burks, which opened up the door for things like Crocs <laughs> that are part of like one of the biggest foundations of the quote unquote ugly trend. And side note, I always still felt like Crocs were just really ruined for really so long because of Mario Batali, um, who basically was canceled for being a total creep, but they were based, they were part of his uniform and maybe the Gen Z doesn't remember him yeah. as much as I remember him. Yeah, I think that's probably what it is. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean... Just was like, I have like Crocs, but Mario Batali. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's super fascinating, Kim, because we just talked about all the horrible for your feet shoes that we sold by the boatloads at Nasty Gal. Yes. And now we're talking about shoes that like make your feet happy. You know, yeah. it's an interesting shift. Yeah. Comfort. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have and that's we, ex- we didn't live in a comfort world. We no. wore low rise, really low rise skinny oh. jeans. We yes. wore basically a bra for a top. We wore Jeffrey Campbell Lita's. Okay. Yes. Like, Which I hear aren't are pretty comfortable for they what are they are actually. I mean, as a person who would wear them every day and ride my bike. <laughs> the Lita's are like the crocs. The Should we bring oh, back the, Lita's? <laughs> I think it's interesting that we have seen this paradigm shift and it's not coming from the millennials. I mean, the millennials are certainly wearing more comfortable shoes. Now I know I am. I think a lot of people, their aesthetic Mm -hmm. changed during the pandemic, but like Gen Z was doing this before the pandemic. Yeah. And I think that's interesting. I mean, and this is right on the nose with what I'm about to say, which is that Normcore normalized comfort. Mm Mm-hmm. Which was the opposing trend to the Gaga maximalist extremist fashion of the mid to late aughts. And then the Kardashians came along with their bodcon high heel sex symbols of that time period of the oddies. And, you know, trends, we've talked about this before, they burn out and they flip flop. And that's the mm-hmm, name of the game mm-hmm. constantly. Like the second you see something get bigger and bigger and bigger, which of course minimalism, I was just like, what, what is this? What is going to be the uh, opposing factor of this? And when is that ever going to come? Cause it was so 
long. Oh my we god, it really was long. So never-endingly long. So the ugly has its foundations in norm core, but its approach can be much more maximal while keeping comfort in the mix. It's also about the mix of standing out versus what norm core was trying to do, which was like, but it was like an ironic version of blending in mm-hmm. because ugly is not mainstream. Uh, it can be achieved much more accessibly, just like Normcore, but even more. You know, you don't have to shop at Gucci. Uh, you can curate your ugly style through resale and vintage channels and more affordable brands like Crocs. And not only that, it's actually, it's encouraged to shop vintage as opposed to buying that crisp, clean, brand new champion sweatshirt. With accessibility being a core value of the generation. We talk about a lot how cyclical trends are and how at this point it's very predictable if you understand Mm -hmm. the sort of like the way, I don't know, the repetitive cycling through of these trends that we have seen, you know, for the last close to a hundred years now, right? Like they, they're very predictable, even if certain elements of them feel different or assert themselves differently, they still have the same kernel of like evolution, I guess. Mm -hmm. And this is so 90s to me. This is so 90s. Let's talk about it. 90s, it was cool to wear ugly shoes. Hi, Doc Martens, um, John Fluvog, (laughs) you know, there's that other brand, Nana. It was all about ugly, chunky, comfortable shoes. Not the same ugly, chunky, comfortable shoes that we're wearing right now, but the idea of it. Another thing in that era It was all about, and this was totally a reaction to the 80s, the ugly shoes too, all about looking natural. Like, do you remember that makeup brand Ultima 2? I would would just say, it has just occurred to me now, I'm having a light bulb moment. Ultima Uh 2 was the Glossier of the early 90s because it was all about the nudes the unmakeup oh. look, oh. looking natural while wearing mm-hmm. makeup. Um, same thing that Glossier has been trying to sell us for years, right? Yeah. Ultima 2 had a very specific aesthetic. It was pretty bland, very minimal. Um, it came and then it went, you know? Mm. But at the time, the packaging was very identifiable. It was a status thing. It was for younger people. It had that vibe. I remember specifically wearing brown eyeliner Oh my God. Yes. As lipstick, because that's like where we were uh-huh. in the early and mid 90s. It was all about yeah. this ugly fashion. I mm-hmm. remember my mom and her friends saying, Why do you girls insist on looking so disgusting all the time? You know, <laughs> we were wearing our like uh-huh. fake natural makeup mm-hmm. and we weren't like doing our hair up, like straightening it or curling it or teasing it. I mean, we've talked about. The yes. hair gadgets, right? We were wearing chunky, flat shoes. We were wearing like big baby doll dresses, oversized mm-hmm. pants, overall. Like gr- kind of a weird grunge with some vintage. With Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this, every generation is going to take these cycles, these like mm-hmm. sort of different points on the trend cycle map, I guess, if you will. And they're going to interpret them differently, but they still have that same essence, I guess. And that's where we are right now. We're in that early 90s 
trend cycle? Generally, when it comes to like these generations, they have a nostalgia for a time period that they never participated in. So we were kind of obsessed with the 70s. I remember there was like the 70s thing that was kind of happening. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Whether it was hippie or like bell bottoms that was happening in the 90s, because it was something we just looked back on and it just looked so cool. And, and, you know, it wasn't the 80s that we grew up in and it wasn't the 90s that we were in then. It was something that we never actually got to experience. We had a nostalgia for something that we never actually experienced. Exactly. And my mom would always be like, I don't know why you and your friends like to wear those ugly 70s clothes. We didn't like them when they were relevant. And Mm -hmm. I I feel like this is where we are with this. This is the Gen Z version of that ugly fashion that we already had in our like very like in our teenage years i will Um, get into that actually in the next episode oh i'm excited but i think Mm -hmm. that i think that's what's going on now so i think yeah knowing if we if we could imagine that these trend cycles are sort of like you know they're circular right they're always coming back to that point it's really helpful for us to start thinking what is after this Mm -hmm. of course the world could change and we could all change our consumption and the way we interact with media and culture and trends could totally go off the rails. But what seems to me, if we're if we're following the pattern as it's supposed to be, we're going to go through a hyper unnatural period sexy. after this. Yes, it's going to go. It's going to go slutty and sexy. Yep. Yep. Well, the problem though is, you know, we didn't have this this insane disruption. Mm-hmm. So. That is one thing that may kind of stop the cycle. I agree. And I hope so. Or extend this part of the cycle. Because I mm-hmm. feel like we only had it, I mean, thinking back to the 90s, we had it in the early 90s. But you have to remember the first few years of every decade are really just the decade before. So we still had 80s in there. You know, I've talked about how my high school people mm-hmm. were still, you know, using so much hairspray. They had mall hair well into the mid 90s. Yeah. And we also, you have to remember, had a time where culture was a lot less accessible because we didn't have the internet. So where you lived kind of dictated also the culture you existed yep. in. But I remember in the late 90s, we transitioned before we got to what we know as of the mainstream raunch culture and the celebutants and everything else. There was a several-year period with all that Y2K anxiety where everything got – it took that 90s, uh, like, ugly, natural, and it said, okay, we're going to put this in this weird survivalist blender, and we're all going to start wearing maxi dresses with, like, uh, maxi skirts with tons and tons of cargo pockets, and we're going to wear even more uh-huh. platformy, futuristic shoes, and we're going to start wearing unnatural makeup, but everything will still feel like mm-hmm. maximalism utilitarian, if that makes any sense. There's a lot of blue eyeshadow. There's eye a shadow. lot. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I can remember specifically going to an Urban Outfitters in Chicago, Illinois in 2000 and seeing Playboy t-shirts on the front table and wondering, oh, yes. Well, that's a weird one, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, that was when it started to trickle in, right? But yeah. previous uh-huh. to that, we were, we were, I don't know, I think of it as a hairy armpits time. You know, like that's that's how I sum up the 90s from a style mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and I think we did almost have a full 10 years there 
but we could have this for longer. It just kind of depends. I just don't know. I think that Gen Z is inheriting a really messed up world. They don't love a lot of the things that they saw when they were growing up. Yeah. So maybe the raunch culture will be something. Maybe they'll go into hipster style. Yeah, maybe they will. I mean, gosh, I hope that raunch culture doesn't come back. It feels so antiquated and gross and just, ugh. It feels very unprogressive, as we've talked about a few yeah. episodes ago. I want better. I want better for us. I mean, there's going to be, obviously, the Roaring Twenties. So there's going to be a lot of partying. Mm-hmm. So what are they going to wear? But anyway, so Fashionista had an article during the rise of the ugly trend called Why Everyone is Into Ugly Fashion, an Explainer. And in the article, the writer Andrea Chang interviews a trend forecaster, Megan Collins from Trendera, a firm that analyzes trends through a generational lens, uh, who explains, and I quote, ugly fashion means not the mainstream. It's not what everyone's wearing. It's not what the general population deems as in right now, which is normcore, essentially, (laughs) what that was explaining (laughs) too, but it's... Um, you know, which is not minimal. Um, So the article goes on to expose some of the reality that yes, Normcore ushered in the acceptability of trends that culture has dismissed for years as being the opposite of fashion. But as the writer of the article, Andrea, learns that because of social media, trends cycle faster and faster to the point of an inaccessibility Mm, of things. mm -hmm to pull into that loop. So people are just casting their nets wider and wider. They're just like basically throwing spaghetti at the wall. (laughs) And I quote, (laughs) and it's exasperated by an overwhelming fear of the end of and aversion to being basic. (laughs) In other words, to be mainstream. It's the ultimate insult to a fashion insider. This is echoed in multiple interviews with fashion editors and Insta-famous people who actually mention this. One fashion editor from Marie Claire that she interviews says, and I quote, you're ostracized in this industry for being basic. (laughs) So there you have it again. This comparison and fear of the concept of basic, especially to the early adopters and trendsetters as trends move so quickly. You don't even, you never ever want to be caught suddenly off guard and doing or wearing something that is by definition basic, but also what's the opposite of basic? (laughs) Ugly, maximal, crazy, Mm -hmm. you know? So, you know, you could see where that's kind of coming Mm -hmm. from. But it's also so ironic because 10 years ago, Crocs and champion sweatshirts would have been considered absolutely condemnable in the fashion circles. And now they're the height of cool. Yeah. Or, I mean, I think that- I'm sure you could walk into the Vogue office and see someone wearing Crocs. I know. I mean, I do do think that like champion is probably waning, but I kind of conversely think that uh, Crocs are really picking up steam. (laughs) They they actually are. (laughs) (laughs) I actually have- I'll, let me just give you some okay. facts. So the brand is actually coming off of a record-breaking sales quarter, wow. totaling $460 million during the first three months of this year. I mean. And Crocs, I know. 
And Crocs chief executive notes that sales for the shoes are stronger than ever and is prepping for Crocs annual sales to rise more than 50% in 2021, which is absolutely insane growth for an extremely established brand. Wow. Wow. I had that one in my back pocket. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Um, I don't know. Have you ever worn a pair of Crocs? They No. Remember Mar- Mario Batali? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> they kind of like massage your feet while you're wearing them. Mm. Like, I mm-hmm. get it. <laughs> um, I bought a mm. pair for gardening and just for like outside, like getting wet. I am still not accustomed to looking at them on my feet. I feel like they are, look disgusting. But man, they feel yeah. so good. Although they make your feet sweaty, which is gross. But they are plastic. That's um, gross. Yeah. I remember there was a point in the like late aughts around, you know, in that sweet spot right before 2010 where Crocs were like Mm -hmm. taking over the mainstream culture, right? And like not mainstream culture in the way that Raunch had, but more like kids and your parents were wearing them, right? Mm -hmm. Um, That they were so massive that they started opening all those stores in airports and stuff like that. Like the Philadelphia airport had two Crocs stores. And I would, like, fly through there and just be like, oh, how depressing is it to see this, you know? And, like, all those stores closed, right? Because Crocs had a really bad time then. And they're already back and bigger than ever. I mean, that is fascinating to me. But Gen Z wore Crocs as children. You have to remember Mm -hmm. that. They also – did incredible alignments with celebrities. I think they did something with like Justin Bieber. There was a bunch of different ones that they did back to back that just made the brand blow mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they were they, they were, were smart about it, which a lot of those brands aren't exactly. The heritage brands don't always get it. They they definitely have someone in this driver's seat who really understands the culture and you know took some risks, like spent a lot of money taking some risks, <laughs> kind of like Yeezy and Gap. Oh, my God. I can't even. <laughs> I know. So remember when this trend emerged, the mainstream trend was and still kind of is that manicured perfection of m- minimal design and blanding. Um, and, you know, if you haven't listened to our episode on blanding, I do encourage you to go back and take a listen. Uh, it was uh, it was late last year, right? Mm-hmm. Something like yeah. that. But, you know, as mentioned in our blanding episode, as well as our in our maximal episode, trends just love to flip-flop. Of course, we just talked about that. You know, you can, can't be minimal forever. Forces always demand the opposite uh, after some time, in some iteration, essentially. So it makes sense that we have flopped quickly to this ugly, which really isn't ugly. It's authentic, relatable. And what was the unified trend and mainstream comprehension of beauty for so long, which was like clean, sans serif, minimalism, and highly millennial. Gen Z is challenging that and are eclipsing millennials as the new kid in town. Mm -hmm. Y-Pulse, this trend forecasting agency, reported that 70% of 13 to 16-year-olds say that it's cool to wear clothing that was once considered ugly. Only 18% would call their personal style as trendy, which actually kind of sounds chuggy when I say it out loud. (laughs) 
Well, you know what I was thinking? I mean, <laughs> is this some like, I'm just, I, oh my God, I'm about to say something that I hate when people say, I'm just playing <laughs> devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but is this a case of, I'm not a hipster, you're a hipster? Uh, it definitely could be. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. Because really, you know, trends still are extremely popular. You know, Crocs itself is a trend. Yeah. I mean, clearly, look at their sales. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, look at their wild. sales. Wild. Yeah. Um, but it isn't just the fashion that's considered ugly. The aesthetic of, of ugly is also crossing through all visual and social media. So Gen Z and some millennials are reporting something that they call per- perfection fatigue and mm. are preferring to go rogue with their feeds and post developing, you know, imperfections uh, purposely disheveled or intentionally, quote, ugly content. And why Pulse, the same um, company, reports that 79% of 13 to 36-year-olds are tired of seeing flawless, perfect, polished images and advertising. And 88% of them like it when people showcase their imperfections. So it's a uniqueness and this authenticity that's in the driver's seat here. And perfect feeds and with perfect photos are decidedly uncool. Uh, greed. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad that more and more people are feeling this. Like, I, there was a moment there where I just was like, I don't even want to look at yeah. social media. I don't even care about Instagram anymore because it's too – it's too staged, mm-hmm. whether it's your yes. breakfast or you out for a hike or out for brunch or like you with quote unquote without makeup, oh, yeah. you know, like I just, I just was tired of it. I don't need to see your perfectly arranged beauty products, your, your shelf, your minimalist, mm-hmm. minimalist, everything in its place mm-hmm. home, you know, I just don't like it. Yeah. And a lot of people don't, they are sick of it. So it, it's so in tired. 2019, Taylor Lorenz, who's this, the queen of social media trends, said in an Atlantic article that Gen Z is rebelling against the constraints of minimal and perfect. And most of the influencers that are actually hot with the Gen Z group, like Emma Chamberlain, are posting with an unfiltered and unedited vibe. And I quote, while millennial influencers hauled DSLR cameras to the beach and mastered photo editing to get the perfect shot, the generation younger than they are largely posting directly from their mobile phones. Gawky, awkward, and relatable. Even using filters that make you look worse is considered cool. And don't get me wrong, style and status are still important, but the fight for equality as well as sharing and showing compassion for others is an important part of the social sphere where the millennials were passionate about the perfect feed and how they looked and how they were perceived like in a more surface way. Gen Z doesn't hold aesthetics in quite the same regard. So community likes and dialogue is actually coming out of shows of empathy over a beautiful image. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love this. I will say just anecdotally, over the past six months or so, maybe even a little bit longer, I have been noticing more social media content, mm-hmm. more accounts that are solely focused 
on really pulling back yes. the curtain on influencers and showing the ways they edit their mm-hmm. photos, um, the reality of how they make their money, like really breaking down how those swipe ups pay them and just the lack of sincerity around it in a way that I wasn't seeing, you know, a year and a yeah. half ago. Def- sincerity, the new, the new, new sincerity. Yeah. That's actually real. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually sincere sincerity. That's real. Right. It's not just some engineered mastery of some sort of emotional manipulation for consumers. It's just reality. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fascinating because I think that the first, let's say, 10 years of Instagram, what we saw was the rise of Mm -hmm. fictional relationships, meaning you would feel because you were seeing someone's photo that you had a connection with them and therefore they could influence you into buying things, right? And in the last year or so, what we've really seen is the slow shift. And trust me, there's still a long way to go based on what I see in the conversations I'm witnessing on social media, on Reddit, et cetera. But more and more people are saying those weren't real connections. Those people were Mm -hmm. a business. They were a commodity that was being sold to us to get us to buy things, right? And that's not real anymore. And conversely, so many people, myself included, this is a conversation I've been having time and time again with different people out there. We built new communities and social circles that are actual genuine, that are actually genuine on social Mm -hmm. media during the pandemic. Yeah. And everyone... In, you know, educated each other and held each other accountable. And, you know, there's so much more information out there just from those communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, I love, love it. it. I, I, I'm excited about mm-hmm. this change because I had reached a point where I was really disenchanted. When Instagram mm-hmm. began, I couldn't wait to get an iPhone so that I could participate in it because the idea of having this small way to interact with one another in this as a creative outlet to actually have to take a photo and show what you were doing felt so yeah intimate and i would always say like what's great about instagram is to really participate you have to participate you know you have to create something too it felt like more work would go into it more effort and it, so it felt mm-hmm really genuine. It did. It did, right? But <laughs> but then it, then it turned into not being genuine. Then, I mean, I specifically think of it, I always call it the live authentic era, which is when we all had to start professionally photographing our avocado toast, you know, the minimalist apartments and just yeah, like all the perfectly staged selfies that you know took 100 shots to get right. And yeah, just all of that, the outfits, the outfits, mm-hmm. the outfits, it just didn't feel real to me anymore. It, and it felt boring. Mm-hmm. And I, that was a sad time, I feel like. You know, like I don't know if it's Gen Z specifically that's turning the tide here or it's a lot of us who have lived through the past year and a half yeah. and knew that things weren't great before and are like really motivated to change. I mean, I feel like I have changed exponentially during the pandemic. Um, And I know a lot of other people feel the same way and we don't want to lose that momentum in the new world that is slowly reopening to us. So I'm excited. 
So essentially between, uh, you know, ugly fashion and ugly aesthetics, it really does all come to one point. Gen Z are influenced by comfort and authenticity that promotes self-acceptance over perfection. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. that. Have you ever gone out to dinner with someone who had to oh. reposition their food eight times before they took the photo? Like you have to take the photo before you eat? Not really. I, I have friends that are, you know, kind of like have like food Instagram accounts, but they don't they don't stage the whole thing. That's good. That's good. That's the key word there, mm-hmm. stage. Mm-hmm. We reached a critical mass of Instagram being staged. You're trying to like create a FOMO in your life and it just makes everyone feel bad and people are sick of feeling bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's really interesting to hear the number of think pieces I've read over the past five to 10 years about how social media is destroying our mental health. Yeah. No one said, hey, what if we just changed what we were doing? Mm-hmm. No one said that. Instead, it was like, nope, I got to go. We're going to get out the ring light and we're going to try five different poses, <laughs> poses, poses before we all go out to this party, you know? <laughs> get out the ring light. Um, also, you know, they ultimately do want to rebel against the millennial mindset and the choices as they move into this influencer role, which I will actually be talking about on the next episode a little bit more mm-hmm. in-depthly. I mean, I think this is just so fascinating. Last week, I was riding around in the car with Dustin somewhere, probably a thrift store, or Lowe's because we have to go there a lot now for the RV. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were talking about the wonder years, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, like there's been a meme going around, like if the wonder years were made now, it would take place in the 90s. And everybody's like, holy shit, that's so crazy. And I was telling him, I was like, I just don't think a wonder year set in the 90s is very compelling in the way a wonder year set in the 60s was because – That was a massive cultural shift. So much of the world that came after that happened in the 60s, right? In the 90s, we thought things were super progressive, but really it was just this, it was the 80s with different color scheme Mm -hmm. and, you know, nude lipstick or whatever. And a wonder years of now would mostly just be interesting and therefore sort of jokey because of the lack of technology, like no cell phones. Mm. So you'd have jokey things about answering machines, like no internet, you know, that kind of stuff. And it just doesn't feel interesting to me. But I was telling Dustin, I feel like right now we're in a really similar time to the 60s and that perhaps we're going to see all of these social justice movements and just the way we live our lives, the state of the environment and all of our motivation to save the planet Mm – Perhaps this is going to be the time like the 60s that sets the tone for the next 50 years. Yeah. And that's my hope. And I think this kind of disposal of this inauthentic perfection is step one it is. of that phase. Actually, Amanda, have you watched the – I don't know if you get if you have Apple TV. I don't. Uh, we have a – we have a, a – um, Roku. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, Apple TV has the this incredible documentary. I think it's I actually I think it's called 1971, the year the music changed everything. Something like that. And it's this 
intense, um, I don't know, multi, I don't know if there's like seven, seven parts of this series where they look into 1971 and how it was, how it was basically developed out of just all like the progressives, social war, um, racism, sexism, and how 1971 was this like pinnacle point. And it's incredible. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe this is kind of like a 1971. Of course, we're not led by musicians making impactful statements and motivating people. It's going to be social media. Social Mm -hmm. media is going to be the thing that's actually, actually, you know, unifying people. Where music unified people in the 70s, social media. And hopefully some some influencers, you know, or we as influencers within our own communities can start mm-hmm. making serious changes in just one single year's time. I believe it. I believe that's where we are right now. And it's interesting to me because that was 50 years ago. Yes. So it's time. It's time. I think that in the 90s, we thought that there was this big cultural wave occurring, but actually mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was the same old, same old. Otherwise, the aughts wouldn't have been the way they were. Yeah. Um, and so right. I, I think we're long overdue <laughs> totally for right. this change. Yeah, right? And I think we're all long overdue for this big change. And I can feel it mm-hmm. around me. And it's really, really exciting. So yeah. everybody, get excited. Get excited. For this new world mm-hmm. we're going to build. This ugly world. <laughs> <laughs> but like – we're reclaiming yeah. ugly, not like cool, in the ugly. Gary, not in the Gary Duke. I drove to eighth no. grade in a sports car way. <laughs> Gary Duke, I drove. fucking Gary Duke, <laughs> eighth grade driving. Wow, I know, that is I know. So like eighties, nineties, like like did he did where did he live? Did he have like parents? well, I mean, you know, so here's here's what I know about Gary Duke. Uh, his parents owned a trailer park. Okay. Which, for where I grew up, meant he was rich, okay. but probably was just middle class. Um, and, yeah, he drove to eighth grade. Um, so he was 16. So he was a few years older than us. I do not think he graduated from high school, ultimately. Mm. Um, I, I just don't think he had a great home life. Yeah. I remember the trailer park his family owned had a convenience store in the front of it. And out in the country where we lived, it was the only store for miles and miles. So my mom, you have to remember, different time, different upbringing than a lot of people, would have me ride my bike a couple miles to this store to buy her cigarettes with a note. Uh-huh. And he was always there in the back playing pool and drinking beer, and we were, like, in seventh wow. grade. You know, so just a different life, for sure. Interesting. I wonder if he's, like, a future troll. Oh, for sure. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The second he got internet, he's like, who can I insult? Yeah, hopefully I'll hear from him and he'll tell me how ugly I am again. (laughs) But but actually, ugly is cool. So, you know, it's like a compliment. Joke's on you, Gary Duke. (laughs) Well, thank you, everyone. This was delightful. And we'll be back next week. Thank you. Bye.